BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, Weather Geeks listeners. Thanks for choosing the podcast. Today, we're highlighting the best of geeks with one of our favorite episodes. Welcome to the Weather Geeks podcast. This podcast will feature world-renowned experts on all things weather. We'll talk about everything from tornadoes to hurricanes to the now infamous polar vortex to the challenges associated with communicating the forecast. We'll have in-depth conversations with key policymakers charged with protecting millions of Americans every day from the dangers of natural disasters. We'll also delve into topics like climate change, earth science, and outer space. So if you have a natural curiosity about the world around you, then this is the podcast for you. This week on Weather Geeks, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the storm tracker himself, Jim Cantori. Today, Jim will be taking us inside the storm as we dive deep into his 30-plus year career at the Weather Channel. How have things changed? What are some of Jim's most memorable moments? And what will the future bring? All that and more from one of the weather's most influential names, Jim Cantori. Welcome to Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, Professor and Atmospheric Sciences Program Director at the University of Georgia. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jim Cantori. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you know, we're starting this Weather Geeks podcast, and we had to start with you. I mean, it's you're the man, that's, the myth. That you're too kind. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, when we have a conversation about weather, I think it just makes sense that we we start with someone as magnanimous and as influential as you be, have been. So, it's, it, I mean, look, I've always loved the weather. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very lucky that that type of passion has come out over over my career. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no. That's, so, well, that's let's let's just. I want. We're gonna geek out. I mean, we're gonna have some fun All with right. this because one of the things about this podcast format is we can go deep, right. as they say. Right. So, but let's just start back with how did you get to the point? What what got you started? It was dad. My dad. He he just looked at me. Or I was sitting at the dining room table, and he goes, "What are you gonna do for the rest of your life?" I said, "I don't know, Dad. I'll be, be a fireman, electrician." I mean, uh, he goes, "You need to go study the weather." I mean, just kind of like this this change and his whole facial expression and and the way it came out. You need to go study the weather. You leave the barn light on until the first flakes come down. You go out and shovel the driveway for your mother. So so you were that kid that that really... Well, but I I loved it, but I didn't know I loved it. So again, it was my dad who who noticed that in me and brought that to my attention. Well, the reason I ask that is because even as president of AMS, we have data that suggests that most people in our field get into it around middle school. That's where the bulb comes on. I love being outside. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love, especially in snow. Snow just fascinated me. You know, the blizzard of 78, if, if that was my coming out party, that was it. Because it had already been a really active winter, 77, 78, and snow was already high. Then we got that thing. And, you know, here I am walking around in chest deep snow. Right. I've never experienced Yeah, no, I, well, I, I, <laughs> you know growing I mean? up so in the South, I definitely have. So, yeah, so that really kind of <laughs> right. did it for you. That was it. So, so talk to us, though. So your dad kind of encouraged you to kind of mm-hmm. do this. But then how did you then execute the plan to get from that point to ultimately becoming a meteorologist? Did you start researching where meteorology schools were? Yeah, how- we, looked at, we looked at some schools. Um, you know, Linden State is, is the one that, 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 we, that we chose. Uh, it's right up the road. Shout they out to had, all the Linden State yeah. folks out there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be 
their commencement speaker. Yeah. Oh, that, well, that, that makes so sense. I'm really, yeah. really excited about yeah, that coming yeah. up. Uh, um, you know, because it's different going from having maps behind you to having nothing behind. Well, I, I, but, I but can written say, words. I can say I've been there because I was I did the same at Florida State last year. Is that uh, right? So I, I can give you a little. I, I think I, I'm going to need some tips yeah. on this because I'm going from me, a baby boomer, to talking to millennials. Right. Uh, you know, it's it, going to be interesting. No, I, I had a similar thought, but I, I'm, I know you'll do well. So thanks, Doc. I appreciate yeah. that. But but it you know Linden Linden fit the bill. I mean, they had a, an ROTC program. They had a, a, a news station there. And that news station, by the way, over the years has won several awards right. um, for broadcast journalism. Right. So uh, myself personally, I've gone back over the last 14 years and worked with the students that have a broadcast interest in meteorology. So, so I wanted to kind it's of inter- interject there because you knew that you wanted to do TV meteorology, not once you were there at Linden. Once, yeah, once I got there, once I went through the first year with the intro and yeah. stuff like that, and I saw kind of the TV thing and I got to try it, I was like, oh, this is cool. I really, I think this is the, the right. route I want to go right. here. And, and so you, you, you graduate from college. You, you are a card-carrying degreed meteorologist yes. now. What was the next step then? Well, I mean, I had a couple of job offers, um, Twin Falls, Idaho, and Yakima, Washington. At at 22, I really didn't want to go <laughs> go that far away from home. Right. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hang out a little bit because as long as the offers are coming in, I'm going to see what happens. And right. I and I was painting a building, and I'm way up high on scaffolding. And my brother comes up to me. He yells up to me. He goes, "Hey, Jim, the the Weather Channel wants to talk to wow. you." Wow. And I'm like, "Oh, wow! We just got them on cable." So I so remember what, watching what, what Bill this Schubert. This is 86. 86, okay. You know, I remember watching Bill Schubert and Bruce Edwards and Mark Mancuso, and I was like, oh, wow. So then when I got down there, I'm all starry-eyed because I'm like, oh, these are the guys I watch on TV. And um, I had so, a great interview with, with Ray Ban, who you know as well. Ray Ban, and, yeah, uh, very instrumental in the – so the Weather Channel just sort of celebrated 30 years, I believe, or right? Or TWC right? since 82. 82. So, so 16 six, – uh, excuse me, 36 years. 36 years, that's yeah. right. Uh, and so Ray Ban was sort of right there at the he was early the stages. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, what has kept you here all that time? I mean, because obviously... Well, nobody else wanted me, Dr. <laughs> Shepard. Um, nobody else wanted a, a yeah. balding, uh, middle-aged man. No, I mean, it, it's... I mean, the, if I really were to stop for a second and look at that, I'm, I think, okay, so I started out doing all these maps. I, I got a chance to kind of hone in my craft with a lot of time on the air, you yeah. know, talking about... And then they asked me to go out in the field during Andrew, the second landfall of Andrew in Louisiana. And I said, Absolutely. And then, you know, once I'm out there, I'm like, this is what I really grew up loving, being right. out in it. Right. And, and so to be able to talk about it and, you know, present that kind of weather to people, it just got awesome. Yeah. And I, let's, I mean, one of the things I really want to do with this podcast is just kind of go into places perhaps that the listener may not get the experience. So you're very much known for your sort of what I call Cantori deployments. <laughs> people are like looking, uh-oh, Jim's headed to my town. That's a problem. Walk us through a Jim Cantori deployment. I mean, what happens? The process. I mean, do you you, do you guys sort of plan where you want to go? How, walk us through what happens over I mean, that 24, 48-hour period. I, I mean, I have a feeling I'm going out, especially with, with a bigger snow event or severe or certainly the hurricanes. So, the, you know, you kind of start shuffling life around because you can't just stop living all of a sudden. Right. You have to go out. Right. So if there's appointments, they have to be canceled or moved. Um you just have to kind of shut things down at home, get packed. 
uh, and over the years I've learned <laughs> how to pack like three different suitcases. Sure, sure. I have a spring severe. I have a and I have a well, two really winter suitcase, and then another one I bring with me right. that just has essentially my jackets because without those we're kind of screwed. Sure. So I can't pack those. I have to sure. carry those with me on the plane. So either it's the spring outfit and the summer outfit, or the or the or the winter and the fall outfits that uh, that go out in the field with me. But those are pretty much pre-packed. <laughs> so, and you, do you have a team of producers or people that kind of go out with you, or is it? My a- producer is Steve Paterak. He's been with me for the last uh, two and a half years, and our our inaugural time together was the 2015 snow blitz in oh, Boston. Wow. Yes. Okay. I remember that coverage. That, and that was thunder snow. Yeah. That was the big that was, snow. Was that the yeah. big that was viral the one? one? Yeah. Uh, on the day before my birthday. Exactly. So February 15th, yeah. 2015, at about 5.15 in the morning. That's when it got crazy. But, um, you know, you, you just got to be ready to go. And then when you get out there, a lot of times, especially with my shift, because I work 6 to 9 in the morning, it's like, okay, it's right. Go get on a plane now. So then we get there. It's 3 o'clock. We have to drive sometimes two, three hours. Then you finally wind down, but you're already going into it kind of, now, kind but, of a little tired. And, but your adrenaline gets you. But through. that six to nine is a relatively new slot. I mean, you've been doing AMHQ. Yeah, I started when I first started at the Weather Channel at 22 years old. Right. I was doing the early mornings. Okay, so you've kind of circled back. But doing it at 54 <laughs> is a little different, Doc. <laughs> right. Okay, it's a lot harder to get up at three o'clock oh, in the morning because you could stay up. When you were 22. Absolutely. All right? right. But now, forget no way. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> now, as you're kind of transitioning to these cities, do you get a lot of people bantering about, asking you what's going on? Or, hey, Cantori, what do you think? I, I can imagine You know, you know what to say is, is it's more the smaller towns um, than, than the cities. Really? Because uh, I think cities are used to seeing broadcasters out there all the time. But, like, when we, show, when we showed up in Bethel, Connecticut— uh, yeah. Out of all places, you know what I mean? Because I was, I was, I wanted to be far enough west. We were playing the dry slot. We were playing the back edge sure. of the snow band. And I'm like, you know, somewhere on that I-84 corridor, there's no place to go. Either you're in Bethel or Danbury, or you're in New York State. I mean, there's just right. not that many places on the interstate 84. So we stayed in Bethel. But the whole town came out. They were, they couldn't <laughs> believe we were there in Bethel. Right, right. It you was mean, like, it was like, uh, you know. The July 4th. So a celebrity moment, even in the midst of a right. pretty significant right. weather but it, event. It, but that's cool. It keeps yeah. us going. People are, over the years, if you ask me the number one thing about being in the field, people coming out and, and, and cheering you on and, you know, bringing us food because yeah. we're just going and right. going and going. And we don't have even have time to stop and eat. But I'll never forget the time. This is, this is the moment that changed me as a broadcaster, that we were in uh, Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. For, for one of the 94 hurricanes and storms and depressions I've covered. And this I, I could just see this lady coming at me from the, across the beach. And the beach was packed. People were just lining up all over the place. And, and she came up to me and she looked at me and she goes, Mr. Cantori, I know it's going to get really bad here, but I just wanted you to know that I'm really glad that you're here to take us through it. I never forgot and that. And so that's and the so motivation. instead of swashbuckling meteorologist... I'm like now my life has purpose. Yeah. Now I have purpose when I'm out here. So I have a I have a goal. I have a job to do. That I I'll, I remember that. So I'll that, never that, that so moment. that you know th- there are some people that can be critical of of what some of us do or the colleagues that go out into the field. But uh, and, and I'm so glad you said that yeah. because uh, a guy who I consider a great friend now, Craig Fugate. Yeah. Uh, you know who Craig? Oh, is. I, Craig and I, I right. know each other well. FEMA administrator. Former FEMA administrator. Exactly. Sure. He was very critical of that. He couldn't understand why we were out there. And we talked about it. And I said, Craig, honestly, if I'm going to ask people to leave their homes, 
the least I could do is stay back and let them watch me from a safe distance take them through what happens. And I meant that. And I know he understood that I meant that. And so from that point on, it's kind of like we get each other. You know? Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm here with the storm tracker, Jim Cantori. And we're talking about his years here at the Weather Channel, his coverage of storms, and I want to revisit this conversation because we were talking about uh, Craig Fugate, one of the, in my opinion, the oh, best FEMA fantastic. directors we've ever yes. seen. And yes. he had some challenges with the sort of notion of on-site reporting. And so you talked about why why that's of value. Let's kind of shift to, I think you mentioned 94 yeah, hurricanes somewhere, yeah. somewhere in that you covered. Yes. Yep. What's been your most challenging coverage for those 94s? What, what do you remember most? In terms of honestly, you're, this is going to kind of blow your mind a little bit, but it's now. Really? <laughs> okay. So the microwave comes out. We don't have to put the oven on and warm up our food. We can just nuke it in thirty seconds. Right. All right. So technology has made our lives greater. Is my point. Our phones. I, in my life, <laughs> technology's made it a little bit worse. Because because of the fact that we can now not have to go down during the middle or the height of a storm, we stay up during the height of it. Okay, if you remember Mike's coverage in Naples, then it led into my coverage right. uh, in Fort Myers. We never stopped. We went through the entire eye wall in both of the cities. So technology for me has actually made my job a little bit worse. Right. Because if the video is great and the, and the shots are great, they, they're going to want to stay on that. So we've gone from broadcasting based back in the studio to broadcasting based in the field. And it's because of technology, an audio and video signal, you know, on an HD, an HD audio and video signal out, uh, you know, over the Internet has, has just made made it hard. Wow. Really hard. Yeah, that's an interesting, I wouldn't have, that was, was a somewhat surprising answer, but yeah. it, it certainly makes sense given sort of how I know co- how coverage Yeah, because usually with a satellite truck, yeah. when those winds hit, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, that dish has got to come down or you lose it. Right. And then you lose all the rest of your coverage. Right. So we now take the dish down there, park it in a safe place, put, don't even use it um, during the height of the storm. Use, you know, live view, as it's called, which is using the, you know, the phone lines, cell phone lines. And then afterward, we can go to places with the truck. Talking with Jim Cantori. Let's geek out here. I want, I'm, I'm going to go into some weather. Stuff all right. Now. Let's we do geek, it. Let's, React to these terms. I'm going to give you a couple of terms and just react to them in any way that you uh, see fit. Polar vortex. The newbie. The newbie. The newbie. Why do you say that? Uh, you know, I remember, I think it was Ryan Maui who, who put out the first tweet about this. the whole, oh my goodness, the whole polar vortex is dropping down over the Midwest. Right. When we had this big cold outbreak a couple of years ago. And with social media, mm, we can hashtag that. And once you do that, it becomes this huge storm. Right. But 
the problem is, unless you go back and explain it and what it is, and the fact that it's always been there, um, you know, people don't really get that. Yeah, yeah, I, I find but, that to be the case as well. But I, I actually like things that you can hashtag because if it's getting people's attention, if they're going to take the time to read it, then you can go from defining it and having the fun with it to actually saying how is it going to impact you. No, 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 so it helps us get the, our message across. So more. you're you're not. I mean, we're we're from similar generation here, but you're I, you're very good in social media. So you have embraced social media. I have. I think Twitter has helped us out right. in our jobs. I mean, I use Twitter a lot. Uh, I use Instagram for my, my personal life, and, and Twitter's pretty much pretty much all business. Right. Ninety nine percent business. So it, it helps me from the start of the day to to identify the areas I want to talk about, and and write literally write down a succinct message. Right. And that I later go and take to air. Yeah. With now, maps. Make sure you're following Jim Cantori on Twitter. There is an awesome follow. Okay, let me get back to my weather geek terms that I want you to react to. Bomb cyclone. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I, again, it's uh, it's Maui again, and he, you know, yeah. uh, I, I think he's responsible for for putting that out there and starting it, which is great. I mean, he's incredible. But, but we talk about that, a great follow. We know that bom- right? bomba genesis and the whole bomba notion genesis. of bombing out of a storm—that's a meteorologically sound term that's been around for a while, right? Yeah, you know? and, and we know a cyclone is a little area of low pressure, sure. right? So why not put the two of them together, right? Um, I mean, you could you can define both of those terms, right? The next term we've already touched on it a little bit thunder snow. I mean, yeah, we the, right. you're legendary for your reaction to that some of the thunder snow events. And but they even what, have what beers it, uh, named after. Oh no, wow! But but <laughs> what is it that really gets you most excited about thunder snow from a, just a, 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 an emotional standpoint, and also meteorologically, what's going on? I mean, I like to tell people the background story to that, especially that February fifth. Yeah, let's let's talk about um, it. because you know they we had been in Boston ad nauseum. It was Boston, Boston, Boston. You know, it was actually Mike Chesterfield, who you, know, you and I both Yeah, weather He says, you know, why don't you get down to Plymouth? Sure. They're going to have a little bit more wind and, and maybe a better chance at longer duration blizzard. So Steve Pederak and I are like, okay, whatever. We're, we're comfortable here at the, war, at the Marriott water, uh, waterfront. <laughs> waterfront. We, you know, we're, we're fine up there in Boston, but we'll just get down there anyway. So, we, you know, we would get down and we meet new friends. And the, and the folks uh, were so nice to us at the East Bay Grill to let us broadcast right in their backyard. And so I'm. It's about five o'clock, five o five. I see Reynolds Wolf, where I was in Boston, getting thunder snow, and I was crushed. Okay, and you're mad I'm at like, Chesterfield. Oh my also. <laughs> I'm like, no way, I was there. You got to be kidding me. So I literally put my face right down in the snow, and I, and I was just literally laid there for <laughs> till he was done cursing and, Chesterfield. And then out. I got back up. You know, it's about five fifteen. They're throwing to me. You can st- if you look at that video, you can still see the snow on the underside. <laughs> Of my goggles. Oh, wow. Because I just was like, I was hot. I was almost upset. Right. Um, and then I got it. The first one. And then the second. And it was it was right over the top of us, you know. And that was. And like, I went from down here to way up here. Right that's exactly why I reacted. Uh, so that, so that's, that's really interesting context. We're talking with Jim Cantori on the Weather Geeks podcast. Uh, at, at its core, we're both meteorologists. Um, but that's the fifth time I've seen it. Yeah, well, it, in the field live. Well, no, I, I, some people you know, say so that you're an attractor re- for well, because it's still lightning. Right, it's oh, still dangerous, absolutely. and people lose their. Believe it or not, people don't know this, but you can lose your life well, in a wintertime uh, thunderstorm. Well, I think we saw that earlier in the year in 2018 here up in I think around Jersey yeah. or somewhere. Yeah, we did. That's yeah. right. What about uh, as so putting on your meteorological hat? I mean. Are there any situations that you find just challenging as meteorologists for forecasting? I mean, are there particular situations you prefer forecasting, ones you like to avoid? This has been a cold April, Marshall. Everybody knows that. Yeah. And so anybody who who 
doesn't think the earth is warming um, will come at you pretty hard and say, well, so much for that climate change. How about that? Hey, I got 20 warming? inches of global warming yeah, in my yard. Exactly, Shepard, exactly right. Talking it's about April 15th. So <laughs> you, right. you deal with the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and, and it is challenging for us with that message. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, I, I've taken it upon myself now to, when I give talks, a lot of it is around, centered around the climate and, and where I stand with it. Well, before we, I want to, I want to stay on this topic because you're a broadcast meteorologist, right. but there's a discomfort with some of our colleagues in the broadcast side of the field talking about that. Why do you think that and, is, and, and why that. have you kind of gotten past that? Because I'm always asked about it. It's been it's been asked at nauseum. So I'm like, I'm a, here's the deal. You know, for me, uh, I, I, we all have, I think we all have different levels in the broadcast medium. We, we know that. We've actually done surveys on that. Uh, a guy like Greg Fischel, I think yeah. we really need to you know, look up to him the way he's done. He's embraced Greg it. Greg Fischel, Jim he, Gandy. Right. Yeah. Those, yeah. Both those guys have taken climate uh, data and, and, and some of the things that, you know, some of the latest climate news, and they actually teach their viewers. Right. That, that's a win-win for everybody at the end of the day. But, but I don't they, think they're forcing it down anybody's throat. Exactly. Right. Okay? They're just teaching people. Right. And, and that's, that's what I like. And that's what you like to do. And I, I think one of the things I've heard you talk about it, you're, you're very clear on the places there are uncertainties or places Absolutely. where we don't know. And I think that, that's my approach as well, Jim. I mean, we, I think we owe it uh, to the public to talk about this and not avoid it, but keep the politics out of it, keep opinions out of it, and just be objective. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it's hard, you know, when you look at this April to say, yo, well, the climate's warming. And well, we had some of the record lows or surpassing the, the, the record highs, but we're just one little dot on that big globe. Right. <laughs> Everybody else has been generally warm uh, this April. Yeah. E- either way, he- here's where I'm at, Doc. Um, I strongly feel that the earth is warming. There's, there's no doubt in my mind, well, especially over the past 30 years. Right, sure. The, the, the question is, what is our contribution sure. as humans? Sure. And, and so I think what happens is once people hear the term, they automatically think that you're blaming them for contributing to heating the earth. Yeah, there's an emotional It's your contact. fault. Right. Yeah. So, so there's, I, there's I, I think that's too. where the whole thing starts. And you're right, it's gotten political, yeah. economical. Yeah, we. I, I steer, I mean, look, I think there, you're right. I think there are emotions around this. I think but people look at what's here. happened. Okay, from this, we've, we have found alternative energy sources. Right. We're growing new businesses. We're teaching our kids to be great stewards of the planet. Right. So in the, you know as bad as this may seem, this argument, you can look at it at, at doing a lot of really good things right now. Yeah, right? I, I completely for everybody. I, for I, everybody. I, I, I completely agree, and I think I think Cantori really is a, a model for how to approach this topic for perhaps some colleagues in the field that have some discomfort, maybe have some pressure in their markets from their station managers or whatnot. Speaking of model for the field, um, what would you say if someone asks why have you been so successful? And I mean, I, I know you're a humble guy, but you have been successful. I mean, I've you been are, lucky. You've look, you know? looked up to in this field. So why have you been so successful? I, I, mean, I think I, I think I'm lucky. And like I said to you, when that woman came up to me and, and told me, you know, hey, um, we're glad that you're here to take us through it. I mean, all that that just changed me as a broadcaster. I, I'm yeah. like my my what I do now has purpose. Right. So. You know, you can always get a little loose and, and, and have a little fun on a, on a day where there's not so much weather. But it's really important to me to, to, to teach. I've always liked to explain the message. And I don't always do it well. I'm still, okay, 32 years plus, I'm still learning how to 
put out the exact perfect message. Well, I think we you all know, not talk over people's heads. And sometimes, you know, I get caught in the minutia and like everybody else in the jargon. I'm like, oh gosh, why did I say that? Um, you know, I used to be on with Chris Warren a lot, and he would stop me and say, well, hold on for a second. What do you what do you mean by that? Which I really love actually when when people do that. I don't mind going backwards because sometimes I just get carried away, as as you know, Doc. Oh yeah. But it, it's it's really the I think if so to answer your question. The passion toward what I do. Yeah. If there's a link between my success, uh, it's it's luck, it's lady luck, and it's it's the passion for what I do. It's genuine. Um, I've never wavered. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm talking with Jim Cantori of the Weather Channel, uh, one of the most recognizable names in the field of meteorology. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Uh, I want to continue the conversation with Jim. And I want to go, you kind of alluded to this a little bit this idea of communicating the perfect forecast. One of the things that's happening right now in the field of meteorology is we're thinking and hearing more discussions, not just about the latest model or the latest satellite or the latest dual pole radar, but things like, are we using the right colors? Are we using the right messaging? Do people understand polygons and cones? What are your thoughts on the sort of social science emergence within weather communication uh, do you think carefully about um, when you put up a polygon or a cone for a hurricane making landfall? Do people understand it? What are your thoughts on some of that? Well, look, they they always try and make cars better, right? right. Um, better gas mileage, easier to see out of equipment now that can almost drive the car itself. So that's what we're trying to do with the weather message. You know, people but- to get that message and understand it as best as they can. And, but there are some people that are, you know, and look, this is weather geek, so we, we, we will go there. And I mean, anything you're uncomfortable talking about. But there are some people that will criticize your organization, will criticize some other organizations that they oversimplify the concepts with things like naming storms or torcons. And I'm going to be talking to Greg Forbes on an episode of this. But they actually are trying to communicate things in a way that the public understands because the public doesn't understand the quasi-geostrophic theory. Right? No, the they, 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 nor should they. Right. they nor need no, to do that. Yeah. They just need to know if they need to get their family out of harm's way or you know, prepare for losing power for a week. Exactly. You know, those, those are important things. And, and that's the other thing, too. That's, the, and that's a just as important part of the message here is not only do we have to explain it well, but, but we need people to believe that this is something that they need to really prepare for. So how is that that message taken and perceived and dealt with? Right. That's just as important as how we're delivering. And just is, as important. So do you, with that statement, do you there there are some people that have talked about the fact that the role of the human in meteorology and warning will fade away. But there are also studies that suggest people trust people like you. So what do you th- say to someone that says, oh, we're going to have automatic forecasts. We've got apps. I don't need to go and turn on Jim Cantori. Well, you know what? That's just not right. Because, yeah. I mean, whether it's me or, or you or whoever that you trust and, and, and want to hear from, I know um, that 
I mean, when I, when I watch a broadcaster, I'm, I'm looking for their tone. I'm looking for how, what, what are they really trying to say to me? Uh, you know, so it has to go two ways. You know, you can get excited about thundersnow. That's one thing. Um, or you can have a serious look on your face about, you know what, this, this storm has a chance of intensifying upon landfall. So, you know, the wind could be much, much stronger than what it is right now. So those kind of messages that go out are not going to be found on a phone app. Right, exactly. Okay. I mean, we're, we're human beings. You may be able to watch that message on a phone app from someone, but that message is not going to be on an icon. Right. So the, ever. The, so the human is always Always, in my opinion. All right, I'm going to shift gears and get a little bit sort of fun and provocative here on the Weather Geeks podcast uh, with Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel. You have been granted or appointed director of NOAA, National Weather Service. In that authority, what are some of the first things that you would like to see done? And and this is in no way any criticism or critical of any current NOAA or National Weather Service activity. But what are you? I guess the sense of that question is, you know, we've got things like great satellites with the new GOES-R, the the GOES East now, high resolution. We've got dual pole. We've got great models. Are there gaps or things that you, from your experience, think we need to do in terms of how we operate? I, I don't think being the director is the issue. It's it's more of how the whole system works. Okay, okay. That's it's it's a very slow, evolving system to try and, and get change in the government. Not just the federal government. system. Just oh, you're saying well, yeah, we, I'm yeah. saying at the federal level. So we need a little bit more flexibility. We need more. And, we need more flexibility. And rapid response. Um, but we need. I mean, I think we need to embrace creativity. You okay. know, I, I love Greg Carbon. Um, I think the things that he's done, you know, before he went to WPC at SPC. Yeah, Storm Prediction Center, Greg Carbon. So, uh, you know, now and now he's at WPC. I mean, the, he's to me, he's like a forward thinker. Yeah. You know, why? Why he's always like, why? Why can't we do seasonal forecasts for severe weather? Right. Maybe we can't. Right. I love that. So, so, so embrace that. And, and there's people, you know, that are outside uh, the government. You know, even local meteorologists that have some great ideas in there. So, the. I like when the enterprise comes together. Right. I like the the advances that we've made, certainly with emergency managers. They know where to get the message from. They know how to take the message and, and do with it what's best for their county or their jurisdiction. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting point. And by the way, I mentioned earlier that Jim has been successful. I, this is a good point to note that Jim is a fellow of the American Meteorological Society, uh, a, a very high honor within the field of weather. And actually not not too many people from the broadcast field, although that needs to change, uh, have been bestowed with that honor. So uh, just to kind of a marker. What, what did you think day, of that? What did you I, think I of that? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the, I, 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 can I still see, can't believe it to this day. Yeah, I can. Actually. I can see the look on your face as I because ask I, that. you know, I, I don't write papers. I don't. I mean, I just kind of do my thing. And, yeah. uh, but I, but I, but I'm true to my craft. You know, yeah. I, I want to get the best forecast. I don't want to look over the latest guidance. I want to hang out with my mentor, Dr. Greg Forbes, so he can teach me radar meteorology and right. and then we can present the best thing we can on air and save lives. It yeah. feels it feels good to know that when Mother Nature's at its worst, that we can save some lives. Yeah, and so that's really kind of a a motivating factor for you. Um, If you were to kind of look back on your career, have you had any close calls where you felt life was really like, "Uh oh, Jim, this is it? I mean, one time we were out covering uh, severe weather in the plains, and I mean, I had a lightning strike come down about 30 yards behind me. Wow. I mean, that, that, that freaks me out more than anything. I know about storm surge. I know about, um, you know, being in a blizzard or being outside too long, not having a place to retreat to. But lightning, you, you 
usually don't get a second chance with that. You know, Katrina was an interesting story because we lost six vehicles in Katrina, and, and we got caught in that storm surge in Gulfport. But I remember as we were <clears throat> traveling around, you know, looking for a, a place. We had a place inland a little bit. But the Armed Forces retirement folks came out and sought us out. And they looked at me and my producer, Simon, at the time, and they said, you know, hey, guys, we're at 27 feet above sea level. And I'm looking at the forecast for surge. I'm like, 27 feet? Really? That close? Okay. Why wouldn't I believe them? We're, we're exhausted. We're tired. Sure. And, and they've got a bunker of a place, you know. To, to We got room for you. We, got, we can feed you. Uh, I'm hanging out with 475 of our heroes. How cool is that? Right. I, I, mean, I have access to the mayor of Gulfport. So we chose that location. But that water came up. And it came up higher than 27 higher, feet. Yeah, much higher right? than 27 feet. And I, and I couldn't believe it. I, you know, they're like, is this the storm surge? I'm like, how can it be? How? If, if it is, we're at 35 feet storm surge. you got to be kidding me. So afterward, I, I checked the factory specs of the building, and they're 20 feet. So that's a little different. Wow. So there's all sorts of interesting things. I, you know, I don't want to speculate as to what happened there. But either way, uh, we didn't lose anybody. Wow. And, and we lost equipment. We lost stuff. But we didn't lose anybody. But didn't lose. But that was that was an interesting time, because afterward, you know, we broadcast for almost a week afterward, and it was very hard to leave. So if there's any post-traumatic stress, that's when I had it. It was very hard. I I felt like I was abandoning the very people that I went through this storm with. So that was very hard to come home, even though I was physically exhausted. Yeah, and you 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 talk about an interesting point that I want to kind of uh, highlight here, which is that um, meteorologists. Some of these events take a toll on us too. I mean, I, I remember. Can, I think remember, of the Oklahoma City guys. Oh, oh, I know. You know, more Oklahoma. There, there's a tornado heading toward a, a weather forecaster's house, and they're having to put out warnings and focus on their job. Their families back there threatened. Absolutely. I mean, I, that's amazing. To I me. mean, Jim. I mean, I write a periodic column for Forbes, and before Harvey, I wrote a couple of days before the event. I mean, this place could maybe get 50 inches of rainfall. And as I was writing that, I I felt a pit in my stomach because I knew what that would do in that kind of a location. So I just, I think people realize this thing takes a toll. We're dealing with lives. You know, I span to deal with what he dealt with in yeah. April of 2011. Yeah. Um, you know, I know he took that personally. You know, those he, are those are still does. his I folks. Know he does. Right. You know, those are his folks. Those are the lives on his clock. And yeah. I knew that, I know he hates that. Yeah. Um, but that's that's our goal but, but to keep that, finding ways for people to get the message and get warnings and build a better message. That, and that's that's exactly that's right. That's what we got to do. Okay, and, press and, I, on. I, and I want to transition there to a discussion here just uh, to talk about that. I want to pick your brain because we're here with Jim Cantori on the Weather Geeks podcast. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole Euro versus the GFS? Because we use models right. in weather forecasting, and some stations, including I think the Weather Channel and many local stations, will show both. And we know that there's a different degree of sort of accuracy at times with the different models. They both have their moments, actually. Yes, good they do. And bad. I think. Yeah, I mean, the GFS isn't as bad as you think. That's what I try to okay. convey to people as well. Um, it's, it's not it's, like it's, we're dealing with some sort of second-class model right. here. We know the the European usually does pretty well in yes. mid-range. Uh, I thought it was interesting over this winter that the 6Z run, I thought, did very well of uh, the GFS uh, with, with, with certain snow situations, um, even better than the 0Z run. And so I thought, I thought that was because everyone says, oh, well, the new data with, with the 12Z and the 0Z, uh, you know, uh, upper air data comes right. out and is added to the models. But um, interestingly, now you look at GO16, 
and the much higher resolution oh, data amazing. that you can add to these models. So they're only get, here's what I'm going to tell everybody. They're only going to get better, global models, and I think even these high-resolution models. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about how much are you using things like the HRR model, which really are giving us this zero? The that... HRR, I'm, I'm even at times, and not always, I, I like looking at the NAM 3-kilometer. Oh, I think wow. it does a pretty good job. There, there's a little news out there for yeah. you weather geeks. Uh, you know, so, but the fact that, let's just go to the HER, for example, on a, on a day where we're expecting severe weather, um, you can actually see the individual supercells. Yes. You can see the difference between something that's going to start as individual supercells and eventually line out and become more of a wind threat. Um, is that going to be west of St. Louis, east of St. Louis? The issue is you can't just look at it once. It's not going to be every six hours. This is a model that comes out every hour, that is right. and you have to keep up with it because it gets new data, new radar data ingested into it, new model data ingested into it. So it, it may have a completely different solution. Right. Sometimes the morning runs are really hot. We know that with the HRRR. But I, I think if you stick with it, you can you can fine tune the forecast. But the lesson for people, I mean, that's just Met speak. That's you and I talking. The lesson for people is, is they, you know, you need to keep attuned to this because it, it's going to be a breaking weather situation. We'll let you know when it starts. We'll try and time it out for where you're at. It's not one of these things where, you know, if you check with us at 6 a.m. and we're expecting severe weather at 4 o'clock, don't tune back in at 3. But Jim, Jim, you just you have to kind of watch it at noon. You, ju you just touched on something that I, I really want to get. There, there was a recent severe weather threat here in the Atlanta area in, in March. And we were under tornado watch. There was a tornado down in South Fulton near the airport. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, remember that. And. I mean, I was seeing people in some of my social media saying, oh, man, this is good sleeping weather. I mean, I'm going to go turn it in because we've got storms and rain coming through. We were in a very severe situation yeah. that night. How do we – I mean, I still mm. find it a challenge. We're very weather attentive. Yeah. But I still find that some people, maybe it's it's still a challenge to sort of understand, sort of convey the, the, the level of a threat. I mean, and to convey uncertainty. I mean, I mean, how do you... Well, first of all, think about the northern transplants. And let's just use Atlanta, for example. Okay. The people that have come up, you know, from the north. Ohio, New England, whatever. So for them to think that you can have severe weather in March is almost unthinkable. That's a great point. All right. So now you've got this new influx of people you have to teach that, you know what, we have a severe weather season year-round here right. in the south. That's a great point. Uh, and, and with different, you know, El Nino, El Nino, it's even different. So so those are things we have to, we just continue to teach. What about the, you know, the other thing that we deal with in, in weather is things like the cone, for example, with hurricanes or right. polygons. Those you know, things I don't are trying like to convey that it's, uh, I don't like that it's based on history. So you, so the, the, okay. we're talking about the the hurricane cone. That uh, it's a, uh, a lot of people misinterpret that cone as thinking when they see it that the storm is going right down right. the center. It, it, it means a lot of different things. And what Jim's alluding to is that there's a lot of historical context of that cone data in that in that cone. Yeah. And so you um, say you don't like it. I, I, I don't like that. I, I want it based on on the just like a an SBC outlook. Yeah. You know. What about probabilities? The, probability use use probabilities. What about the SPC boxes? Those sort of categories we see for outlooks. Uh, any, any issues with that? I mean, there's been some discussion about the wording. What's the of those. difference between marginal and slight? I mean, if I were to just say that to someone who really doesn't understand, it's a probability. I think even slight might suggest to some people a marginal that's less, that nothing's going to happen right. at all. But we even we know that that means there's something that still could happen. Right. I, I mean, I, I, look, I commend SPC for trying to add Absolutely. levels because we needed to do we that. We need to. But, but are, is that the right 
word to right. use. Yeah. Um, do we do we need those levels? So we, you, just like anything in science, you have to go back and retest and remeasure and then adjust. The problem is, is we can't throw something out at people and then completely completely change it. We can't one You either have to kind of back down on it or just tweak it a little bit. Um, because we don't want it to become all of a sudden completely understand, you know, not yeah. understandable. This year with the, okay, no more lake effect snow warnings for some offices, but we're going to have lake effect snow warnings for some other office. Right. Uh, lake effect is lake effect. So, uh, so you know. Yeah, that, you know, and I, we talked about that on our previous Weather Geek Wednesday on AMHQ, which you can find Jim on every morning on the Weather Channel during the week. Uh, we talked about this sort of fact that we're seeing these changing warnings in different places. And I think that's evolving out of some activities, the hazard simplification program within the Weather Service or the FACETS program. So people are thinking carefully about these. But um, I mean, look, if you look at it, we have just so many hazards yeah. to us in the United States. That's why, you know, if you look at a hazard map from um, the National Weather Service, you're going to see all these different colors because we are susceptible to a lot of hazards. Especially, especially Wind, here in the fire. Southeast. I mean, it's yeah. just everywhere. Yeah, 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 It looks like a box of good and plenty. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because you, Weather Channel is a national outlet. And so um, are you thinking about, when you're talking on AMHQ, are you thinking carefully about who you're talking to? In other words, do you convey messaging differently depending on who you think is watching you at any given time? Or is it just kind of a generic sort of I message? mean, morning format is just so, I mean, I think it has to be generally lighter. And because and, people are just tuning in, they're doing other things, they're multitasking in the morning, they're not completely locked into you, I don't think, like people uh, that would watch in the afternoon that are a little bit more casual. But, what, you know, on that same note, I say, well, if, I, if I'm watching CNBC, you know, and, and, and Kramer's on, I want to hear what he has to say. Right. I'm completely locked into what he has to say. Exactly. So it, it's just two different, if you have the time, people are locked in. So I have to kind of split it. If it's, if it's an important, life-threatening situation, then doggone it, you're going to take the time. Right. If, if you got the time to listen to me, great. If you don't, I understand that too. But I'm going to give you the time that this deserves. Right. That, that's how I play it. Now, you know, we're getting towards the end of this Weather Geek podcast with Jim Cantori here at the Weather Channel. Um, Jim, where do you see Jim Cantori over the next... Ten years. I mean, what? What's? I mean, I, I mean, I think I know some of the answers. Hopefully, on a boat somewhere <laughs> in the tropics. <laughs> what, hey, that's a, yeah. I want to. We want to be conversation. What, what are just some of the things you like to do in your spare time? Oh my gosh! I mean, I, what? What? I'm what, kind what of is, a plant. How does Jim Cantori really, chill out? I, I love to garden. I love growing things. You know, my garden. my dad always made me responsible for the garden. Uh, when I was a kid, so you know whether we got tomatoes or peppers or corn or squash or cucumber, I, that was my deal. That's what I had to take care of in the yard, um, and so I've kind of enjoyed that going forward. Now, now it's not so much vegetable gardening; it's more, you know, plants, especially you know Japanese maples. I love Japanese maples; I collect them. Um, I think they're just beautiful trees. The spring, fall, and you really year-round. But right. uh, I like to garden, I like to golf, ski. Just got back from a like, ski trip from my roommate in college, who's also a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we like to go to go out there one, once a year and enjoy some skiing together. Okay. And, and hang out with my kids. I, lo- I love hanging oh, yeah, out with my- I love being dad. Uh, yeah, same I, here. I really same do. Here. Same here. Love being dad. Yeah, we had a time machine. You could go back in time to any time in history or any place on the planet. Where would you go, or what would? You, oh wow! Have you ever, I, mean, I, I know that was coming out of left field, but I just I'm always kind of interested in sort of how, what what fascinates people in time or history. Is there some some time period that you're would kind of trans? I mean, okay, so I'm a huge baseball fan. 
Okay. And and we're not too far removed from Jackie Robinson Day. Mm-hmm. I, I would have loved to have seen Jackie Robinson play. Yeah. Um, to play the game at the level he played it and the way he played it, undergoing you know constant scrutiny and everything else. I mean, yeah. I, I really would have loved to have seen him play. Yeah. Yeah, no, That's I, what I would do. Yeah, and I, I, I hear you actually know or have at least talked to Mike Trout in terms of baseball. Trout is a huge weather nut. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's we, what we, I hear, we, actually. We talk to each other. We, I, I will tell you right now, without a doubt, if, if he wasn't such a phenomenal baseball player, I think he'd be a meteorologist. Well, you know, we and have... I'm going to say that he may be, you know, it, even though he's got a long career ahead of him still uh afterward i, I think there'll be some type of weather so in, in my tracks for you much of a weather yes geek. yes yeah, well, I, I know he, we... go, he goes out in snowstorms sends us video he's a, he's out and he loves being out in it wow his dad took him out when he you know he was a young man showed him how powerful the you know the winds could whip up the ocean and stuff like that so he's he's got that same thing that you and i, yeah, I, mean, I grew up with like, as like a young it. man yeah you know yeah, and I, and I'm a big sports fan as well. We had uh, Owen Daniel on on Weather Geeks, the televised version, who's a Pro Bowl, All Pro uh, tight end in the NFL, or was. And so, uh, you know, and we both know the curriculum that meteorologists take in college is uh, yeah, it's, it's not it's not, for, it's not for the weekend. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's pretty impressive that those guys can do that. So, you know, got a little bit of time left. So, in, in closing, Jim, I mean, what would you tell someone that's listening to the Weather Geek podcast of what? Um, Jim Cantori has contributed. Since we started with this, I'm going to end it with this. This is what I would tell people who want to go into meteorology. Um, at the end of the conversation I had with my dad, because we didn't really get to the end of it, he, he just said, look, son, you have to wake up for the next 50 years of your life every morning to go to work. You need to love what you do. Yeah. And that's what I've done. Yeah, that's 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 Jim Cantori on the Weather Geeks podcast. I want to thank Jim for joining us. Uh, he's one Thanks of the best in the now. business. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.